Bibles tonight, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at several scriptures. As I said this morning, as far as I know, unless the Lord changes my mind, I think we'll wrap up this series we've had on the devil's dangerous devices. I said at the beginning there are numerous devices that the devil uses to destroy lives, and I'm sure that we haven't even touched the hem of the garment, but we've looked at some of the, some of the main things in his arsenal. And uh, tonight we're going to speak about the subject of, of dissension. And uh, that's what we see as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. By the way, I'll just mention this before we go on because somebody might be wondering, well, what, what next? And uh, right now I'm uh, about 90% sure that next Sunday night I'm going to start a new series of messages and we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes all the way through every chapter of it. It is a book that is confusing to some people, but it need not be if we get the right perspective. And it is in some ways one of the most important books of the Bible. And uh, hopefully if we do that, why well, you'll see exactly what I mean. It's obvious from the verses we're about to read that one of Paul's main reasons for writing to the church at Corinth was to deal with dissension. Notice chapter 1 and verse 10. And he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there, and that there are, be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now chapter 3 and verse number 3, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Chapter 6 now, and verse number 6, he says to this same church, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Can you imagine that? The church members suing one another. Chapter 11 now, verse number 18. He says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 20. He says, for I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates Envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, unless when I come again my God will humble me among you that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness 
and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Now keep in mind, this is a church from the very beginning of his first letter. He told them that you come behind none of the other churches in regards to spiritual gifts. And whenever you look at that list of spiritual gifts that that God had given to the apostles and to the early church before the completion of the Bible, when you look at that list and think about the the great ability that they have. We're talking about healing, speaking in other languages and all sorts of things that people ordinarily could not do. And to be in possession of those gifts and yet, and yet for those gifts to be rendered useless, basically, because of the divisions in the church. What a horrible, terrible indictment that is against any church to think that you would allow dissension to literally destroy the church. There is, I don't think, anything that will dampen our spirits and divert our attention away from our God-given duty any more than dissension. Just, you can almost feel it in the air sometimes. And it just has a way of just dampening our spirit. It it gets our attention out there on things that where it ought not to be. And when we think about God's work, and we look at what God's Word says about it, we begin to understand that unity among God's people is an absolute essential if we're going to be successful. Sometimes we think about that early church, and, you know, we like to refer to ourselves today as, a New Testament church. And, you know, that's what we want to be. We want to be a New Testament church in the truest sense of the word. And, and we want to embrace those doctrines that they, uh, that they embraced. And we want to do the work that they did. But when we look at that, that early church, it is so amazing what God enabled them to do. But I think the key factor in all of that is the fact when you look in the book of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and all of those chapters especially, you see over and over and over again, it says, and they were all with one accord. Wouldn't that be something? They were all with one accord. And folks, whether we are talking about a family or whether we're talking about, let's say, a ball team or an army or a church, unity is essential for success. Back many years ago, whenever I was playing what was known as AAA fast-pitch softball, and that's on the very highest level of softball, and we played all over the place, but every year uh, we were invited down to a place called the Fordland Honor Camp. That was a prison camp, and uh, they had special privileges because the prisoners had been, you know, uh, uh, well, they'd been cooperative with the rules and regulations, and so uh, a lot of them got out of the big joint, and by the way, that's the home of the, uh, of the medical center. I mean, a lot of the most famous criminals ever have been there at the U.S. Medical Center in Springfield. But we would go down there and play these guys softball. And boy, they had some really talented guys out there. And they, might, they would be doing great until, and this happened every time we ever played down there, 
every time they would get in an argument amongst themselves. And when they did, that team literally fell apart. If you're going to have a team, you've got to have unity. Everybody has to be on the same page. It's, it's true in a family. Uh, there must be unity if the family is going to succeed. That doesn't mean everybody is just alike. Uh, we're all different. And we think about a church and, and every member of the church is different. But that doesn't mean that we can't have unity even though we might not agree on absolutely everything. We need to learn to agree on the basic fundamental issues of life and what the Word of God teaches. The devil knows that 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 if he can disrupt our unity, he can destroy our work. So that makes this subject of great importance. And we need to prepare ourselves because mark it down, Satan is going to launch his attacks against every family, against every church. He is determined to destroy it. And if we just sit back and act like, well, it couldn't ever happen here, we're in serious trouble. So we need, if for no other reason, and I thank God for the unity that we enjoy and we have enjoyed for many, many years in this church. I thank God for that. But we can't just sit back and assume that nothing bad will ever happen. We have to take some steps that will prevent that from happening. That's the reason for this message tonight. I want you to see what the Bible says about dissension. First of all, the Bible demands the cessation of dissension. Over in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 14, just these three blunt words, it says, leave off contention. Leave off contention. Chapter 25 verse 8, he says, go not forth hastily to strive. And then in the New Testament, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So how important is this? Well, the Word of God demands that we cease in dissension, that we stop it, leave it off. In fact, it is so important to God that the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6 that God hates it. Think about that. When we entertain a contentious spirit and we create dissension in the church, or we don't take steps to correct the dissension that is in the church, God says He hates that. And if God hates it, then we need to take action against it. And here, here is the seriousness of this matter. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter number 16, verse 17. He says, Mark them which cause dissension and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them if they're creating dissension. You know, sometimes this matter of church discipline gets misused, greatly misused, and that makes it much more difficult for churches to exercise church discipline uh, among the members. And after a while, I can tell you from experience as a pastor, you don't know what to do. You just want to throw up your hands and, and, and give up on it altogether. But you know that you can't do that, but you also realize that sometimes we've got our own little personal list of things that people ought not to do, 
and we get all bent out of shape because so-and-so, we saw them last week out there somewhere in public and they were doing something that they shouldn't have done because it was on our do-not-do list. And we want the church to take action against that. Now, that might be a legitimate complaint, or it might not be, but I'm not saying that's the way that you handle it, is just to bring it in and all of a sudden try to vote them out of the church. At the same time, people that make a big ruckus about that, you can have some choir member that wouldn't ever think of entertaining those bad habits, doing those things, but they are the biggest gossip in the county And at the same time, we just slough that off like it's not a big deal at all. But it is a big deal. God uses strong language when He says, Mark them, mark them, have nothing to do with them, cut them off. That's the scriptural way for a church to deal with troublemakers. And and the reason that it's so important is because the church is too important for us to allow someone to destroy it. We just must not do that. That's why there are times that we must take action. People have got totally the wrong idea about this matter of church discipline. They think, well, you know, yeah, you're just kicking someone out of the church. No, we are disciplining them. That's what it's all about. It's not that we hate them. It's that we love them and care about them enough that we're trying to correct them. And the church has that responsibility, but that shows us the importance and the seriousness of this matter of dissension in the church. But not only does the Bible tell us that, the Bible also describes the consequences of dissension. And probably you can tell already it would be really easy tonight. I could I could spend the next four or five weeks talking about this subject, and I'm trying to roll it all up in one ball of wax and give it to you in one brief message tonight. But when we think about the consequences of dissension, it's impossible to cover all of the areas, but we can consider the most important things. For one, it destroys fellowship and relationships. That's something that we can't afford. I I thank God for the good fellowship that we have here, for the great relationships that we have with one another. And, And it's just indicative of the fact that we need one another, and we recognize that fact. We all need one another. And strife will pull us apart. Strife will ruin our relationships. So many times we see people that have maybe been friends for years. And all of a sudden there's some issue. And more than likely it doesn't start out as a major issue. It'll start out maybe as a a personality clash. Or it might be some minor petty little something or another And all of a sudden you see those people divided and they don't want anything to do with each other. And after a while, mark it down, if something doesn't happen, it becomes like contagious in the church. And you've got people taking this side and people taking the other side. The fellowship of the church is disrupted and the relationship between the people is destroyed. Not only does it destroy our fellowship and relationships, It defiles our behavior. Now, it's bad enough for us to entertain dissension in our life, but whenever that's going on, we all tend 
to act out of character at times. And you know that's true. Uh, every single one of us, there will be times in our life where we will do things that ordinarily we wouldn't think about doing. Right? We've all done you, you might do that every time you get out on the highway and driving somewhere, you know. We, you know, we're nor- normally not in that bad of a mood. Now, when I talk about dissension, and, and by the way, this happens in the homes with a, with a husband and a wife or with the parent and the child and what have you, that we allow the fault that we see in others to defile our own character by doing something, by entertaining attitudes that we should not have. And sometimes it reaches the point that people will even try to seek revenge against them. Maybe the best example I can think of is Haman. You'll remember that story who planned that he was going to hang Mordecai because of this dissension with the Jews. Now, now think about that. I'm going to hang this guy because I don't like the Jews. And uh, consequently, uh, in, in the process of the planning, he literally ended up destroying himself as a result of that. But look, don't stoop to somebody else's level just because you're not getting along at, the, at that particular time in your relationship. A lot of times it, you know, takes time for us to be able to work things out and mend things. And so many times we just fly off the handle and all of a sudden we go into a rage and we're doing things that we shouldn't do. Our behavior is defiled. Our relationship is destroyed. And then, in addition to that, it distracts us from our duty, from our responsibility. Think about King Saul. If anybody ever had a friend in David, it was Saul, right? I mean, here is David the giant killer. David wasn't looking for any glory for himself. David wasn't trying to take over the throne at all. Even though it was in God's plan to give it to him, David wasn't being premature in it and trying to overthrow. He wasn't trying to undermine the king. And yet, out of jealousy, King Saul began to hunt David like he was an animal. And he spent his time, think about it, neglecting the kingdom itself and chasing after David from one cave to another cave, looking everywhere he could, trying to find David so he can kill him. So he has he has neglected all of his responsibilities now because he has a conflict with somebody else. And when that happens in a church, we all tend to do that to neglect the responsibility that God's given to us. And sometimes it goes to the extreme of somebody saying, well, I'll tell you what, if they're going to keep going to church there, I'm going to find a different church. I just can't go to church with people like that. It absolutely stops them. Isn't it amazing how that people will get angry with somebody else and what do they do? They quit on God. What did God do? How did he offend you? How did he hurt you? He didn't do you any injustice, and we want to quit on God. I, I think we all have the attitude, if anybody's going to leave, let them leave. Let the other party leave. If they, you know, if they don't like it, if they can't live with it, let them leave. 
Don't let anybody, me included, run you off. If you know where you're, where God wants you to be, that's where you need to be. Regardless of the troubles and the trials that's going on around you, don't let dissension destroy you and distract you from duty. And it even beyond that, it deters you from being able to worship God. Right? Isn't that what it says in Matthew chapter 5? I'll read that later on, by the way. But he says, whenever you come to worship, you know, the Lord, and you bring your gift to the altar. But there, you remember that your brother has all against you. And the Lord said, just leave your gift there. Forget all about it. And go and first be reconciled to your brother. It's impossible for us to have a right relationship with God and wrong relationships with everybody else. It's impossible. And look, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that all of your relationships with other people are going to be perfect because you can't live at peace with everybody. Remember Paul said, live peaceably with all men so much as lieth in you. And there's some people that are not going to cooperate. Regardless of what you do, you'll never be able to live at peace with them. But you can live with a clear conscience that you've done your part. You've not mistreated them. You've shown them unconditional love. You have forgiven them. You've wiped the slate clean. You've done everything in your power to try to settle the dust of contention then you can come and worship God. But until you do what's necessary to settle that issue, you can't even worship God as you ought to. When we think about this matter of contention, and we've been talking about it, of course, in the context of the church, that's what most of the scriptures I've read pertain to. But also throughout the Bible, we find this matter of contention in in a different context, whether it is personal between relationships or whether it is national with the nation of Israel or some other nation. And I think about our country, and uh, I'm just heartbroken about our country, and I suspect you are. Jesus said in Luke chapter number 11, the kingdom divideth against itself. Right? A kingdom divided against itself. It'll end up destroyed. And that happens to any nation that has such conflict. And when we think of the conflict going on in America today, I've absolutely never seen anything like it. It is so pitiful to think adult people could behave in such childish ways as to do the things that we do. And it's all of this contention stirring the pot. If people aren't satisfied about one thing, you know, then uh, there's some other issue that crops up. I think about Israel and the strife that divided the kingdom, by the way. It was strife. And, of course, you have then divided up into the two northern tribes in the Two southern, or the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes, all as a result of contention between them. That same kind of contentious spirit will spell the end of a church or a country. And, and it's something that we've got to deal with. And so those are some of the consequences of having dissension. 
The Bible also declares the causes of dissension. And boy, this is where we could camp out and just spend uh, another hour or two talking about all of these, and I'll be brief. But let me just give you a list of the main causes as I see it from the Bible. First of all is hatred. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, hatred stirreth up strife. Hatred stirreth up strife. Oh, you would like to think that, that no Christian would ever t entertain hatred in their heart. But I'm telling you, it happens. It happens that sometimes we become so distraught about a relationship that has fallen apart or we become so disturbed because someone had the audacity to offend us that all of a sudden it's beyond just a dislike, we, like we nearly hate them and it stirs up strife. And then there's anger, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. So it goes beyond just stirring up strife. There's this matter of transgression that is violating God's laws when we get furious. And mark it down, you might be furious at a person because of something they did or they didn't do, but whenever your mental state is such that you are furious with others, believe me, it will lead to some other sin in your life also. All the product of anger, you see. You might be mad at your wife and take it to work. You might get mad at somebody on the job and bring it home to your wife, you see. It just has a way of growing into other areas of our life. Here's another cause. And I, I would say this is the, at the root of all of it. This is the main cause, I believe. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. You get this, the first word, only. Only. Only by pride cometh contention. And in chapter 28, he says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. So if we could get rid of the pride, we would be rid of the contention. It would all be gone Amen. because there's no pride. I think about the Apostle Paul. And uh, here, here is maybe the greatest person that ever lived after Jesus and John the Baptist. And, and, and he says of himself that he, I am the chiefest of sinners. He's like saying, I'm the worst of the worst. Nobody's, nobody's in, you know, as bad, bad as me. How would you offend someone like that? And whenever you think about Paul and his ministry to these various churches and the fact that they misunderstood him, even the church at Corinth brought false accusations against him and so forth. Those he's trying to help many times, they are the very ones that, that despise his efforts. How do you, but how do you offend a person like that? Because of his humility. I, I've pictured in my mind, no telling how many times, watching Paul and someone trying to offend him and somebody saying, you know, you're just a dirty, low-down, rotten rascal. You're not worth the powder to blow your brains out. I think Paul would say, and probably with a tear in his eye, you're exactly right. I deserve a devil's hell, but by the grace of God, I'm a child of God. It's only because of his grace, you see. And with that spirit of humility, you, you just can't hardly offend a person like that. 
So pride is the chief cause, but not the only cause. There are other things we could mention in the Bible. I could read verse after verse about these other things. There's gossip, for example. Gossips, people that are tattlers, they just... They, they just got to tell that they learned something about somebody else and they're busting the gut to go tell somebody else about it. Boy, look, if you want to keep a secret, just don't tell anybody. That's the only really safe way because people have a habit of saying, let me tell you what I heard. Now, don't tell anybody else. And I, This is from a reputable source, though, and I trust you not to repeat it. You, you've already made a big mistake because they've got a friend, you know, that they feel about just like you feel about them, and they can trust them with it. And after a while, it just keeps spreading, but it is so very destructive. And then there's the matter of meddling. Boy, the Bible talks a lot about that. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. A good way to get bit. You see a couple of dogs out there fighting, you go up and grab one by the ear, he's going to turn on you and bite you. And whenever we meddle in strife that doesn't belong to us, and by the way, you know, we see that, don't we? We see that here is brother against brother, and there's contention there that's obvious to everyone, and all of a sudden we get the, we get the idea that we've got, to, we've got to intercede, we've got to get involved, and somewhere we've got to be the peacemaker that settles the issue between them. And that's a good way to just stir the pot. And here's what usually happens. Both of them end up turning on you. That's why the, the most dangerous thing for our cops is domestic arguments. More cops get shot as a result of that than anything else. And, and here a, a cop going out there trying to bring peace in a family and he gets out there and this guy is just beating up his wife and lo and behold, before the argument is over, the wife has taken the side of the husband, you see. It, look, it will turn on you. you. You can't afford to get involved in business that doesn't pertain to you. But there's another one. And th this one was so important that whenever Paul was giving young Timothy instructions in his pastoral work, that he mentioned this on several occasions, and that's the matter of senseless questions. Well, I want to know. I, I want to know where Cain got his wife. And people want to argue about this kind of stuff all of the time and make a big deal out of it. Senseless questions and he's telling timothy don't you get caught up in all of this the you know the best advice i can give any young preacher is is if you don't know something just say you don't know it you know don't start rattling on about well you know this verse says and that verse says if you don't know the answer just say you don't know it that's all it's all right not to know it because you can find the answer later on but just to go on and on with senseless questions about things, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? 
Stuff like that. You'd be surprised how many people, they, you know, they piddle in stuff like that all the They think it's a sign of intelligence and really it's stupidity that would cause us to entertain that kind of stuff. And all it's going to do is, is to stir up contention among people. I had a somewhat preacher friend years and years ago. I could call his name, but I won't. And this guy was up from around the Kansas City area. And, uh, and it wasn't Brother Turk, by the way, for those of you that are wondering. He was probably my closest preacher friend ever. But, uh, but this, this fellow, he would come down to our Bible conference. And every time he came, there's always some issue that he wanted to bring up that everybody, all the preachers anyway, knew this is a bone of contention and it's not going anywhere. This fellow wanted to discuss the issue like he knew all of the answers. And I, the only time ever in at any time that I know of that I ever just stopped a preacher in the middle of his sermon, told him, go sit down, was in that conference, and this guy was preaching about the fact and trying to prove to all of us other preachers that Jesus had long hair. And he went on, he, he we camped out there and just made that the message, basically. And, and I, finally, I interrupted him. I said, that's enough, uh, brother. We, 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 you know, we understand what, what you believe about it. And we, we got the picture. Uh, just go on with your message. And lo and behold, he just, he just ramped it up even more and just kept going. And finally, I just stood up and said, that's it, brother. You're done. Go sit down. I've never done that before. But it was reaching the place that it was becoming detrimental to, uh, to the, not only the service, but the whole, the whole atmosphere of the church and all of those preachers who were there as our guests. Senseless questions and dealing with issues and you know, as a young preacher, and I look back and think of all the mistakes I made, and boy, I made a bunch of them. But a lot of them had to do with things that were, well, as a look back on, wasn't all that important. Because back then, everything in my mind was black and white. It's right or wrong. You know, it might not seem like a big issue to me, but, it's, but I know that it's wrong, and, and we need to get this right. You know, there's some fights just not worth fighting. Like I always say, a bulldog can whip a skunk anytime, but the stink ain't worth the fight. It's really not. It just doesn't do any good uh, uh, to play that game. And uh, so, let's stay on point as to those issues that are really important in our life. Now, one more issue that I want to talk about, things that the Bible says about dissension and that's the fact that it defines the cure for dissension now, let me tell you unity in a church a family or anything else doesn't just happen it's not something that just happens there has to be a cure for it because mark it down there are going to be times where our differences will come to the surface in every marriage, I had a deacon tell me years ago, him and his wife had never had a disagreement. And I almost said, brother, I don't believe you. You're lying. I didn't say that. Now I kind of wish I had. Because, look, let's face it. You know, 
regardless of how much we love one another, there are going to be times that we differ with one another. And, and, and our unity is going to be threatened. But unity, for it to be maintained, is not something that just happens. It's something that takes effort on our part. And the Bible is very clear about how we are to deal with dissension. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Paul says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify, build up, strengthen another. Some of the best verses I know of in this regard is in Ephesians. You might want to turn, if you don't have this marked down, you need to put this on your forever list of things you need to remember. Ephesians chapter number 4. And he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called. Notice now, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, there it is. And if you look on down at the end of chapter number 4, and I'm not going to read that, but you go down there and it tells us how we deal with this dissension that that comes into our life. If we would do what the Bible says, we could avoid dissension and we could live in peace. You can't control what anybody else does. They're going to do what they're going to do. You can't control it. Somebody said, well, I'll tell you one thing, as long as they live under my roof, they're going to do what I say. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll wake up one morning, they'll be gone. They'll do what they want to do. You cannot dictate how anybody else lives. Your husband or your wife can leave you in a heartbeat. They can walk away from your marriage right now, and it can all be over, and you can't do, as Tennessee Ernie Ford said, you can't do a cotton-picking thing about it. You, you can't control what others do. There are some people that are going to hurt you, some people that will be rude to you. The only thing that we can do is keep ourselves under control. And let me tell you, that will go a long way in us maintaining a unified church. But what do you do? What do you do when there is strife between you and someone else? Well, we need to settle it immediately the best we can. Go back over to Matthew chapter 5. I said we would read these verses later. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 23. And therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Now, that's a key phrase. He doesn't say if you have aught against your brother. doesn't say if you are the one that's at fault. But when you get there, you remember that your brother has aught against you. He's been out of shape toward you. He is offended toward you. And he says, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now look in chapter 18 of Matthew, and here we see the issue of dissension between church members. Verse 15, moreover, 
If thy brother shall trespass against thee and mark it down sooner or later, they will. And if it happens, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Somebody says, well, you know, yeah, I've got this issue with so-and-so, but, you know, I, I want to take someone else as a witness. In other words, you want to disobey what the Bible says. You want to get somebody else involved in it that wasn't involved in it. You go to them alone. It's just between you and them. That's where your first effort should center. It's not like you go to Brother Kenneth or I and say, well, oh, so-and-so did this, and I think church needs to exercise discipline against them. Why don't you go to them? That's the way to deal with it. But, notice verse number 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So now's the time to take someone else. You've already exhausted your effort to try uh, to make peace with the person. That didn't work. So now you can take two or three witnesses because you don't want to get into a situation where, you know, he said one thing and the other fellow said another thing. It's his word against his. So now you've got witnesses. Notice in verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, he won't listen to anybody at this point. Tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Wow. Wow, wow. Let me leave you with a verse I, want, I hope you'll remember. Mark it down, and, or whether you memorize it or not, but don't forget about it. And that's Psalms 133, verse 1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I've been here 30 Three or is it thirty? Thirty-three years now, and and let me tell you, I've preached in a lot of churches. The first twenty years of my ministry was running from one church to another all over this country in revival meetings and conferences and things of that nature. And I know a lot of preachers and a lot of churches. And I'm so glad. I don't know how many churches could say, looking back over the last 33 years, that we've had, thank God, it's by His grace, no major divisions and issues and arguments in the church. That Let me tell you, folks, that is a miracle. It is a miracle. And, and it's because I think our people really believe that it's good and it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. I hope everybody read the morning manna this morning. I knew I was going to preach on this subject tonight. And the subject of the morning manna today had to do with, uh, with the peacemaker. Being a peacemaker. I preached a message years and years ago entitled, The Most Wonderful Person in the Church. Didn't have anything to do with their 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 abilities with their gifts or their generosity or anything like that. And, and the whole crux of the message had to do with the peacemaker. I don't know anybody more valuable to a church than peacemakers. In his inaugural uh, address, 19, 1865, 
and this just a little over a month before he was assassinated and this is his second inaugural address by the way and uh, Lincoln uttered these immortal words he said with malice toward none and charity for all with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right let us strive on to finish the work we are in Boy, if we would just keep that in mind, it would really help us deal with our differences. With malice toward none and charity, that is love, toward all. If we'll do that, we can be a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. And boy, that will make the world a whole lot better place for everybody to live. Thank you for being here tonight. And through this, through this entire series, The Devil's Dangerous Devices. And uh, one of these days, we'll look at the armor of God and talk about that. It'll be an ideal time. By the way, uh, by the way, we might do that in the near future sometime. But on Wednesday night, Brother Kenneth's going to be teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And as you know, I've preached a lot about, out of Ephesians here lately in the messages about Christ and, and, and that whole book is about the riches of Christ and so I hope you'll make it a point if you possibly can to be here on Wednesday nights and take a part of that study and it ends with what? Talking about the armor of God that protects us against the fiery darts of the wicked one. Thank God as Jesus said we are more than conquerors. Amen. Thank God for that. We don't have to be losers. There's victory in Jesus. Because we're not fighting for the battle. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. Aren't you glad Jesus already won the victory? We just need to claim it. Well, let's all stand together. Brother Nolan's going to come. I don't know what God might be saying to your heart tonight. It might be that as you look back over the course of these messages that there is some one of those devices that's really tripped you up. It might be tonight that you can think of someone with whom you are at odds. There's dissension between you and somebody else. They might be here tonight, or they might be somewhere else. But whatever you do before the, before the day is over, as soon as you possibly can, do everything in your power to... Uh, to to bring peace to that relationship. Father, bless us now, not because we deserve it, but because, Lord, we sure need your blessings. Without your blessings, we, we are nothing, can't do anything. And, Lord, we're just depending on you tonight to give us victory in regards to all of these things we've been talking about. And, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is, is in a conflict with someone else, and dissension has just filled their heart and they're growing cold and hard and bitter. Lord, help them tonight to resolve to do everything in their power to live peaceably with all men. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we saying? 544.